Welcome once again to Shelf Esteem. I'm Trudy Morgan Cole, and once again I'm going to spend most of the next hour talking to a couple of very interesting people about some of the books that they find very interesting. My guests today are two librarians, the people probably who we associate with books more than any others, and these are two women with some great opinions about books and some great suggestions. They are Leah Chesson-Locke, the Provincial Children's and Youth Services Librarian, and Emily Blackmore, Collections and Social Media Librarian. I met them both through our local public library and an event they were doing, and I'm very excited to be able to share our conversation with you. And as always, I started off asking them what they've been reading lately. That was leaving a big impression, and Leah started us off. Okay, well, I'm reading... so. Because I work in the children's department, and when I did my undergrad in English Lit, I, my concentration was on children's literature, too. So a lot of what I read is juvenile fiction. Uh-huh. And so um, what I'm reading right now that is amazing is uh, Sweep, the Story of a Girl and Her Monster by Jonathan Oxier, I think is how you say his name. He wrote The Night Gardener. Okay. And it's about a, a young girl, and it's in Victorian times. She's a young girl, Nan, and she's a chimney sweep. And, uh, or pre-apprentice really mm-hmm. and she gets caught in a in a chimney and she can't get out and uh, somebody that she her sort of rival sweep uh, mm-hmm. does what's called um, the devil sweep and it's to burn her out of the chimney and it's mm-hmm. supposed to be devastating but she gets saved by this small little piece of magical char And the magical char turns into a golem. Uh And she has this relationship with this golem, and it it helps her to understand where she came from and her mentor sweep that she lost five years prior. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful story. There's a lot of history, and there's a lot of really great information at the end of the book um, to guide you through Victorian times, guide you through the history of chimney sweeps. It's unreal. It's, I didn't know that I would ever be interested in chimney sweeps, but uh-huh. it's fabulous. Yeah. It's, it's so great. So that's and what it, I'm reading right now. That's what a great book can do. Is yeah. It make you interested in something. You're like, oh, I didn't think I was interested in that, but then I read this book, and yeah. Yeah, no, it's that great. sounds fantastic. How about you, Emily? Well, it's funny. Leah and I share an office, mm-hmm. uh, and we're friends as well, so we see each other outside of work, and we always joke that our reading interests are very opposed. Yeah. So Leah often reads a lot of... Uh, serious fiction, um, more literary fiction, stories about real issues and people and things, and I am mostly a science fiction and fantasy person. Um, So that's kind of the joke, is that when we represent um, young adult literature places, which we've Uh done in the past, because I used to order it, and now she does, the types of books we're representing are completely different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I read all of the um, fairy and magic books, Uh and she reads all of the sad children with cancer books (laughs) not all of them (laughs) sometimes she reads things that i would read and vice versa of Uh course but it's funny because the book that i've been reading recently that i like the most was circe by madeline miller oh yes um, okay it's on my my to read list yeah it i read it in in one weekend which is atypical for me because i have a Uh (laughs) four-year-old so i really have to carve out that time and I really used to like uh, Greek mythology a lot mm-hmm. as a child, so the book is, of course, about the sorceress Circe from the story of Odysseus, and um, she is the main character, and the author has really given her almost a, I don't want to say feminist, um, mm-hmm. although that is kind of what it is, bent, and you get to know her story, because 
in the Odyssey, she just comes across as like an evil yeah. sorceress who turns men into pigs, and you yeah. have no idea why. Um, but they give her a whole thousand years of backstory oh, wow. and how she ended up on this island and why she distrusts men uh-huh. quite realistically. Yeah. And um, it, it takes her right up until, I guess, not the end of her life, but the end of her immortal life, I'll yeah. say. And uh, I cried when it was over because oh, I didn't wow. want it to end. And it's a lot more literary than I thought I would want a fantasy book to re- be. Mm-hmm. And I hesitate to call it fantasy because I don't think that that's what it's touted as. Yeah, but... But um, it makes me want to read uh, the other book that Madeline Miller has written, which is um, uh, The Song of Achilles. Song of Achilles. Yeah. I did read Song of Achilles, yeah. Which I like as well. Yeah. It's in the same vein. But Circe, I've been told by people who've read all of her books, is the the one yes. to read. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, that's that's... As I said, it's been on my to-read list, but it's going to have to move up a little bit with a recommendation like that. <laughs> uh, and Emily will talk about that book for all time. She <laughs> loves that book. It was yeah. so good. I went out, I took it from the library, which I do with a lot of the books that I read, and then I bought it. Mm-hmm. So if I like something enough, I will buy it. I just yeah. like to check them out from the library first. For sure, yeah. you know, like them. Not everything's a buying book, right? No, you got to no. see. I find for me, mostly, I, I read books first as e-books, either from the library or buy them buy them as ebooks, but I'll only buy a paper copy of it if it turns out to be one that I really, really love. And I'm like, yes, this needs to be part of the permanent collection. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of something I'd read recently in one of the many articles about the death of libraries and, (laughs) um, you know, people bemoaning the state of paper books. And Mm -hmm. um, this one take was that, and it's one that resonated with me, was that A, book sales are up, (laughs) so that's not necessarily true. But as uh, ebooks become more prevalent, um, your paper book collection that you have at home will almost become more curated. Yes. Mm-hmm. More it's precious. much more precious to you, yeah. and it's things that you yourself want to keep and read again and share with people as opposed to just whatever you could get your hands on, because there are other yeah. ways, of course. And I liked that, and I thought about it with regards to my own book collection, yeah. and I realized that that had, over the past, say, five or so years, become mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. And I'd gotten rid of a lot of the books that I had been holding on to since yes. my mm-hmm. early 20s or yeah. late teens that I wasn't going to reread, yeah. that I didn't know if I could find them again, but now mm-hmm. if I want to, I can. Yes, yeah. Um, easily, uh, but it doesn't mean that I want them on my shelf, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting because that's exactly what's been happening to me over, I would say, the past few years, too, that, you know, I've always had tons of books, but they have been not ones I've collected intentionally, just like mm-hmm. ones that have just wandered into the house, you know, yeah. and maybe I bought it, maybe I bought it secondhand, maybe I inherited it from someone else, and now I find myself making a real effort to get rid of a lot of those and mm-hmm. to say, you know, let me have copies of the books I really love, and also a matched set of copies, because, yes. like, right now I'm right. in the middle of reading the Dorothy Sayers, Lord Peter Whimsey books, which I reread every few years, and I had always had this random set of, like, a couple I'd bought, a couple I'd bought secondhand, a couple that were missing because I'd read them through the library, mm-hmm. and, and then they just last year released a really nice, uh, you know, paperback, but yep. uh, a reissue of, of a new edition of it. I'm like, well, this is a good time to get an actual matching yeah. set. So it is that, yeah, much more curated. Uh, I did the I same thing with the Harry Potter books. Yes. Yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah. Bought the new beautiful matching set. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because it's nice to have that on your shelf. It and is. Yeah, absolutely. Very inten- to be more intentional about what books you own, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, I do want to ask you guys a bit about, about libraries and the so-called death of libraries if we get time. <laughs> but I also want to talk, of course, about your own particular book passions. 
And uh, I realize I sent you guys my list of think about questions, and I have it on the wall, but I also literally can't read it from here because I'm old. But I think one of the questions that I always ask people are, what are the, what are the books that you would say have had a big influence on you or kind of shaped you into the person and the reader that you are? Well, the person and the reader, I think, are two different questions. Yes, that's right. True. So, as the as the reader that I am, I think you know my this this is the one to answer a bunch of questions, I yeah. guess. But like my favorite book of all time is the True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle by Abby, mm-hmm. and uh, it's about a young girl, also during Victorian period, uh-huh. uh, who is uh, who's left alone in England. Her family has gone back over to America. She comes from a very wealthy family. She's finishing boarding school, and then uh-huh. she's to be sent back to America with another family um, on a ship, and there is a mutiny planned on that ship at the uh-huh. same time. So they've gotten the family, they've gotten rid of the family, but Charlotte is convinced that she has to be there, and she stays on that ship, uh, despite the fact that the crew don't want her there, and they try to make her life very, very miserable. Mm. And while she's there, she kind of realizes who she is uh, as a person and what her real values are, and her values do not match up with what her family has established for mm-hmm. her. And she's only um, she's only 13, so she's quite young, but she's decided, you know what, this isn't, this isn't the person that you want me to be. This isn't the person that I, I am. This uh-huh. isn't who I am intrinsically. And so she, um, she becomes a sailor. Uh-huh. While all through this, she cuts her hair off. She gets rid of her big flowing gowns. She puts on scrub, the, the, the kinds of clothes that they were wearing on the ship. And she becomes one of the boys mm-hmm. is how they, they towed it. And, um, and then when we get to the end and she gets back to New England and she's there with her family and they're trying to turn her into this proper girl, she cu- has to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Is she going to stay or is she going to go and be who she's meant to be? Uh-huh. And that book, I read it for the first time when I was 11 uh-huh. and it made a really big impact. And I've read it every year since. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a book that I read all the time because it, it, it affected who I was, right, uh-huh. as a person saying, you can be more than what people tell you that you can be, yeah. right? You can do that. But if I think of a book that... Like, so that affects me as a reader and also as a person. But then Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album actually really affected me okay. in a really big way. And um, I don't, it's funny because I don't care for Mitch Album. So I'll read his <laughs> books and I don't care for his books, but I care so much for that very real story because it's about having a mentor who guides you through life and who helps you see more of the world around you. And I've been there. I've had that experience. Uh So that's a book that I will revisit when I'm feeling really lonely or really down or really anxious and just to center myself. Yeah. Yeah. So it it really depends. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And both of those, I mean, those, you can see how both those are really, really impactful books, but in such different ways. Really different ways. Yeah. How about you, Emily? It's funny that you mentioned mentors, Leah, because I had not touched a fantasy novel until I was 12. Uh And a teacher at my high school, um, who was not my teacher at the time, gave me a copy of The Hobbit to read. Okay. And I loved it. I think Mm -hmm. of it very much as a gateway book for me in that um, it introduced me to this whole new world of not just fantasy, but other authors that I could devour. And that teacher, his name is Mr. Riggs, um, he continued to trade books with me then for not just the rest of my high school career, but my whole life. He came to my wedding a few years ago. We still talk. Uh, He's my friend on Facebook. Uh (laughs) When we're in Glovertown, which is where I'm from, Uh um, I try to visit him if I can, although that's gotten busier since I had a child. Um, But I definitely credit him with 
helping me to see the type of book that up until that point, I didn't think of myself as a reader. Mm-hmm. I liked reading, but a lot of my reading as a child was more um, Babysitter's Club, Goosebumps sort of things. Right, and it was right. the first, I'll say, like grown-up book that uh-huh. I can remember reading and really liking. And um, for me, I've reread The Hobbit multiple times, and it resonates with me a lot more than Lord of the Rings, which I think is a lot mm. longer yeah. um, and more descriptive uh-huh. <laughs> in a lot of ways. But it's such an interesting, small adventure story mm-hmm. that when I first read it, I'd never read anything like it. I couldn't even wrap my head around the fact that not only was there this book, there were thousands of books <laughs> that were other worlds yeah. that you could visit, and that really is still impacting on me. I still have books that belong to Mr. Wiggs, yeah, and that we've traded off. You know, he sent me emails about books. He's written a book um, about hiking a trail in Italy that he uh, dedicated to me. So oh, this wow. is, uh, oh my gosh! So it's great. nice to have um, to have that relationship yeah. with someone, and um, which leads me to the other part of that question: the book that resonated the most with me that I still think about is The Clan of the Cape Bear by Jean M. All, which is a a You are not the first person on this podcast who says, I can't remember who the other one was, but I remember someone else saying Clan of the Cape Bear was like one of their... It's almost a silly answer because I read it before I was old enough to really read it. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was 12, I started babysitting like a lot of people did at that era and time. And my next door neighbors had me babysit their daughter, and they owned it. It was on mm-hmm. a bookshelf in their basement. So over the course of a few months, I read it. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that my mother would have been pleased to know that I had been reading it <laughs> had she known, because there's some sexual content, yes, yeah. some really heavy stuff. Yeah. But just the writing of this prehistoric world mm-hmm. and how the main character solves problems... Um, that just seems so out of the scope of anything, mm-hmm. you know, where the fears are actually things like starving to death. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. there's like the whole world is brand new. Something about that really mm-hmm. resonated with me. And I've reread it since as an adult, and I'm sad to say it didn't, oh, it didn't hold, hold that same mm-hmm. sparkle, which does happen. Um, yeah. But I think of it fondly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And those are the books that I would have read when I was younger that definitely impacted who I am as a reader and what I was mm-hmm. interested in reading. Um, I would have had other answers, but they fill in for so many other questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's funny because The Hobbit is the first grown-up book that I read to, like grown-up in quotations, and mm-hmm. it it did. It changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. I had just texted my husband to ask him, what's the name of the book I'm reading right now? <laughs> Because I really liked it and I wanted to mention it, but I didn't want to mention it if I couldn't think of the name. And what was the name? It was called Under the Pendulum Sun, and it's by Jeanette um, Nig, NG, and she um, wrote a book. It's a very weird fantasy novel set Uh in um, almost Napoleonic times, though you're not given an exact date, um, or early Queen Victoria times. And it's about siblings Uh who are missionaries to fairyland. Okay. So fairyland is a real place. And it's Uh during the time when Christianity um, was sending out a lot of missionaries to people. And this girl's brother has been in fairyland and not responding to her letters. Mm -hmm. So she goes to find him. And because she's a woman, she doesn't have the same... um, She was never offered the same educational background that Mm -hmm. he was. But through him, she learned. And they both have these ideas about teaching the fairies, about religion. And um, obviously things do not Not go the way that they think. Um, And it's not a book at all about losing your faith. In fact, it's almost the opposite. But it is a book about 
expectations being wow. um, dashed. This sounds fascinating. <laughs> and I've, I've only never read this. I've only read half of it, so uh-huh. I can't speak to what the ending will be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there are changelings, and um, mm-hmm. there's a sense of menace that pervades the entire thing. Like uh-huh. that, Fairyland is not friendly to. Yeah humans Mm -hmm. and when she gets there she finds that her brother hasn't even converted anyone like he has a church and he's been trying and everyone just is kind of (laughs) like not into it (laughs) yeah like i have wings and i'm a pixie like what do you (laughs) and just they have a lot of conversations about how the bible is perhaps not the way that the bible is written is for humans so we can't use this here surely there must be another way and uh so far i'm really enjoying it that's so fascinating And I'd never heard of it. My husband gave it to me for Christmas, so because we exchange books on Christmas Eve. Oh, that's a nice tradition. And that was one that he gave to me last year, and this year gave me flack about not <laughs> having read yet. So I did pick it up, and I have been reading it. That's great. What about, I guess this is kind of related to the books that have had an influence on you, but are there characters in books that you identify with, either now or when you were younger? We talked about this coming into the house, yeah. actually. Yeah, that was a hard one to answer. Like, if I think of a character that... I had an easier time answering the question, who would be, like, a romantic interest? Oh, than yeah, I did for love for the character. Who, yeah, then who would... Right? Um, but when I think about it, and I think about myself, like, I see myself in Charlotte Dwell. That's a big part of what I like it. Mm-hmm. But I also see myself in Rowan from The Witching Hour by Anne Rice. Oh, okay. so messed up, Leah. I'm so messed <laughs> up. I know, right? But, and I don't know if it's because that was another, like, I was, I think I was 12, 11 or 12 when I read The Witching Hour for the first time, and then I'd read it so many times thereafter, and I love witches so much. Like, I just, I don't know. I even told, like, with the idea for a minute, they're like, if I could live in a world, like, would I live in Roald Dahl's The Witch's World? I don't know. Maybe I would. <laughs> what a horrifying world. I know. <laughs> right? But I just, I, I just, I love it so much. So I, maybe her, maybe. I did say coming in that that was the one that I struggled with the yeah. most because I do find it hard to relate to characters. I think in a deeper sense, because on the surface you read about, um, I'm thinking, you know, about like Katniss Everdeen yeah. or yep. heroes and you want to put yourself in that place and right. you want to be the hero. Yeah. But I think wanting to be someone and actually being someone mm. are two very different things. And yeah. I think that I'm definitely part of the generation of little girls who looked up to Hermione yes, um, yeah. quite a lot. And I was a bookworm and uh-huh. like had a hard time making friends and you know, all of that stuff. But Mm. at the same time, sometimes I almost get like the sense of ego in my head. Like, who am I to compare myself to these book characters? Mm. There's so much more, you know, I'm just a regular human being and they've inspired thousands of people. (laughs) It's an interesting question to ask for sure. Yeah. Yeah, And I get a lot of different answers to it, but what about the thing of falling in love with characters? Yeah. I want to know what you said now. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Knightley from Emma. Oh, a hundred million percent. He's very much my type. (laughs) Why? Right? Like he's. I actually took notes about this. Oh, fantastic! (laughs) I did because because he's compassionate and he's genuine. You know, he's very hardworking. He he doesn't let Emma get away with the 
things that, you know, like the way she tries to set up people and she plays with other people's emotions. She's, you know, he's very genuine and mature and moral. And everybody talks about Mr. Darcy. And like, yes, there's something swoon worthy about Mr. Darcy. But Mr. Knightley is just, he's just got it figured out. <laughs> and he does. And I, and, and he's I a grown up. Him, <laughs> yeah. And I like, I could just, I, I do. I love him. And every time I read Emma, because I do really like Jane Austen as uh-huh. well. And every time I read Emma, I swoon. I do. I like Mr. I like Mr. Knightley. Sweet. I, I do. I think he's much less of the sort of asshole hero trope. Yes. Than than yeah. Mr. Darcy or yeah. like Mr. Rochester or you know heaven forbid his cliff. You know. I'm not really into the asshole. <laughs> I really know oh, it. Right. Like. Heathcliff is the worst. Heathcliff is. the I worst. I once met yeah. someone in university oh, who said that they had a Catherine. And he meant as in Heathcliff and Catherine. Oh. I was like, do you think that's romantic? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that your idea of something? It's like, you know that that's not romantic. You know that's not, not romantic, right? Not at all. No, that's disturbing. But yeah, Mr. Knightley, I think, is one of the more like, yeah. I do. I, I like him. I, I do like him. It does remind me that we have a card game at the library. The library has board games at the yes. AC Hunter um, called Marrying Mr. Darcy. That Leah and I have played, and it, it <laughs> gotten rather competitive one. with rather one competitive. But we've gotten people at work together at lunch to play this game, uh-huh. and it's just the cards are all the different suitors from uh-huh. the different Jane Austen books from Pride and Prejudice. It's all from Pride and, and Prejudice. And you have to um, get up your dowry. It's a rather oh, yeah. sexist, like hilarious game. Hilarious you get sexist. points on your beauty and wit, and you know all these <laughs> oh, different things. Great. And at the end, you get to like. Have you had more points means more men can propose to you. Oh. So of course it's considered a complete failure if you end up with like Mr. A Collins career. or like I you know or a career and be a spinster. Oh, well, the worst the worst one is to be a spinster. Yeah, if you're a spinster, then you've <laughs> yeah. like lost, and that's the. Uh, how but, many um, players can play that game? We've played it with five, five or six. Five or six yeah. It was it was very funny. I know that's not related to this question, no, but it was a bookish okay. game that made us laugh quite a lot, and it was very fun. Uh-huh. I think it's something I'd like to play again over tea. Yes, yeah. It felt like, very much like we needed to have tea. Your ability to p- play the piano forte will, oh, you know, it, it matters yeah. in order to marry. Who, like, you the know, cards are things like you have lost in a game of whist. Yeah, you know, God you get stuck with Mr. Oh, Collins. Well. I have a yeah. I have a getaway weekend coming up with some very bookish women friends. So that I would need be to borrow that amazing. Oh, yeah. So much fun. Yes. Yeah, that would so be a wonderful fun. game to play. I actually couldn't come up with a good answer for this question. I wrote down in my notes, Lestat maybe. <laughs> really? But not even because, like, when I first started reading Anne Rice, um, as in high school, uh, that dark figure uh-huh. was a very attractive figure but then I started thinking about um, the YA author Sarah J Mass yeah. and she has um, a series of books uh, based on the Snow White story oh yeah and um, one of them oh sorry it's called a court of thorn and roses oh okay yes <laughs> but the head of the night court is like the most perfect fairy dark and you think he's brooding and evil but really he's not brooding and evil <laughs> he's just brooding and needs a good woman to oh, open his yes. heart I know the type and I read those books as like a 33 year old woman uh-huh. <laughs> and still swooned when the two main characters kissed and oh, it had yeah. some actual um good and I, I don't mean good in a gratuitous way but good as in like realistic sex scenes in it mm-hmm. which you don't often yeah. see in YA or yeah, in literature yeah. period yeah. <laughs> um, ones where I felt like it was actually 
uh, sexy and realistic instead of it being very, like, eye-roll uh-huh. worthy. Um, but that was probably as close as I could come to having a character yeah. that I thought about falling in love with, but he's not even real. As none yeah. of them are. <laughs> but I mean, yes. that's, that's the joy of falling the in joy. love with characters in books. Yeah. <laughs> what about living in the world of a book? Was Is there, especially where you read a lot of fantasy, I guess, is there a book world that you would want to live in? Or... I said to Leah earlier that my first response to this was Harry Potter until I started thinking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there are issues with that world <laughs> yeah. as yeah. well. Uh, megalomaniac wizards yes, aside. Yeah. But I started, there's a series of books called The Invisible Library by mm, Gen- that's a cool Genevieve. World. Yeah, oh, but they're by Genevieve Cogman. And they their plot is that they're a series of almost mysteries. Uh-huh. And the main character's name is Irene. It's not her real name, but she's picked it because of Irene Adler, the right. Sherlock character. Yeah. And it is about the Invisible Library exists almost in a pocket universe. And it uh-huh. is um, a gigantic, sprawling library with thousands of librarians working for it. And they all uh, have the power to use the word, which mm-hmm. they speak and something happens. And their job is to go to different realities and collect works of fiction that are special. So, you know, come to our world and find there's one Shakespeare play that doesn't exist anywhere else. So their job is to collect every work of fiction and bring it back to the library. Mm. But of course, there is a rogue library agent who spends some of these books trying to, you know, destroy the library or kill Irene. And she has a sidekick who's also a dragon, but a person. Oh, they sound great. You know, (laughs) the worlds that she visits are anything from the main one is very close to almost a steampunk version Mm -hmm. of Victorian Uh London. And then there are other worlds that are just like completely different, all balanced on a scale of chaos to not chaos, uh-huh. basically. And uh, I just, I, I look forward so much to the next book in that series. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a good one. So it's a series that she's still writing? It's yeah, still there going? are currently five, I want to say, books. Oh, okay. If not five, there soon will be, and she's just ongoing. They they read very quickly, mm-hmm. um, but that could partially be because I just can't stop yeah. reading them. I'm such a sucker for books that are about books in that yes. kind of way. Like, have you read the Jasper Ford? Uh, yeah. The Thursday yeah. Next ones? Like, I yeah. love that, the idea of being able to step into the world of books yeah. and change something and, and or bring something something back out. Yeah, I just love those. The idea of this invisible library is also that as long as you're in the library, you don't age. Oh, wow. So that sounds good. People will live their careers in this library and then when they retire, they'll go and retire to a world and age or they'll leave for a few years, get a university degree and come back. Come back. You know, and like children aren't often raised there because you don't age. Not not a great place to raise kids because you never really No, it's problematic, but no, it's a lovely, it's a lovely book. It's a really neat book, yeah, and I definitely highly recommend it because it's fun. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, I think the problem with a lot of would you live in the world of a book is a lot of them are quite horrible because well, yeah. awful things yeah. are happening. That's yeah. what it's funny. The story is good because yeah. of that. Yeah. Last night I was thinking like, where would I live? And I was talking to my husband about it and I said, I don't know, like the hundred acre wood. And he was like, Leah, you hate the outdoors. I'm like, Oh my God, you're right. Like, I couldn't live there. Where would I live? So I was like, you know what? I think I would probably live in Mr. Lemoncello's library. So that's, again, it's a juvenile fiction, but it's, there's a series of books, and the first is Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's Library, and Mr. Lemoncello is this really, um, philanthropic millionaire, but he's also, um, very eccentric, and he brings 
he comes back to his hometown where he grew up and he creates a library, but more than a library. It's all the things that we want our libraries to be. There's holograms. There is, a, you know, you can go through the Dewey Decimal System in a holographic way and a mem- somebody from a historical figure will come and walk you through oh, wow. the different areas of the library. And there's nothing you can't do there. There's games rooms. There's... You know, there's these really great things, and he, but he also created games. He was a game creator, and that's how he made his millions. Mm-hmm. And so he has a contest with local school children to lock them in the library overnight, and the first ones to escape win this grand prize. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have to solve clues, they have to solve pictograms and anagrams, and all these really cool things. And I thought I'd love to live in Mr. Lemoncello's library. Oh yeah, I would love to it be his, like the curator for his library uh-huh. yeah so that's that's what I can like that both of ours were library I know <laughs> <laughs> it was, was either great, that like though. I was tempted even to say the Hunger Games because I get lost in those books oh every but Leah year. not a world you want to live in I'd probably die though yeah. I would probably die so not good I would 100% die in any dystopian fiction yes me too I'm not the person who survives no. any yeah. of these stories they're fascinating to read but yes, not to live yeah. through yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah 100% yeah I think we're living through more than enough dystopia in the real world no need to no I don't need that to become yeah. <laughs> more real no, than it is no, for sure um this is i mean this is a question i ask everybody but of course you guys you're professional book recommenders to people i always ask what books do you recommend people or what books do you what books do you wish you could get other people to read is there a particular book that you're always, you know, sort of pushing on people <laughs> i <laughs> see a little gesture poking, emily's there. poking me so i have okay so there's a book that i love beyond all the other books and mm-hmm. I talk about it always and it's Bear Town by Frederick Bachman okay. and uh, I have the strangest niche where I like books about hockey okay and so this is a book about a small hockey community that is it's drying up um, there's no more industry people are leaving the town they're going over to the next town they have no money the only thing that they have to hold on to is their elite junior hockey team mm-hmm. and if they win the championships then people will come in and they'll they'll sponsor the town they'll bring in you know, they'll, they'll raise the economy, they'll do all these really great things, and the captain and the star of the team who has a future in the NHL rapes the GM's daughter. Oh, wow. And then it turns the town against itself. So half of the town doesn't believe her, the other ta- half of the town does, and then it's be- it becomes about... Um, who you root for within your own team Mm -hmm. and it divides that and it's really it's fabulous and there's so many wonderful secondary characters um that when he wrote the sequel that came out this year is called us against them um i i had to go back at the end when i finished us against them i had to go back and i had to reread the last three pages of this book to really understand exactly what happened to each of the characters at the end and um it was heartbreaking and it was this to me this was the perfect book wow i love this amazing i love this book however If I had to say everybody on the planet should read one book, I've actually been touting that for the last year, and I think everybody should read the book Wish Tree by Catherine Applegate. Okay. And it's a book about a tree. His name is Red, mm-hmm. and he's been growing in this small community for a long time. And once upon a time, um, when people were first settling in the community, there was a young Irish lady, and she would tie wishes to the tree with 
pieces of fabric. And, uh, you know, a couple hundred years later, red is still there and the people have changed. And now um, new families are coming into what is otherwise a very homogenous place. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of racism and a lot of discrimination and red is observing all of this. Um, And he... Through Red and his little crow friend, um, we get a sense of who the people in the community are and what the best way to overcome discrimination is. Mm -hmm. And all that from the point of view of a tree. That sounds wonderful. And it is one of the best books I've ever read. Um, So if I could get everybody to read a book... I would want everybody to read that book for a hopeful future. But if everybody wants to read the perfect book to me, that's Beartown by yeah. Frederick Bachman. That's great. Yeah. What great recommendations. How about you, Emily? What, what, is, it, is there a book or books that you wish you could get others to read? I would say that my favorite book of the last decade um, that I tell people to read is Station Eleven by Emily St. John right, Mandel. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever read that book. I haven't, but that's because I have a lot of issues with back to being back to dystopia like I almost at this present point in human history find it really hard to read anything dystopian because it all seems way too real so and I say that with the caveat by so many people the caveat is definitely that I read this book before I became a parent Mm. and I do and this is something else Lena I've talked about before I do have a harder time now that I have children Yes. Reading some of the things that I did not have a hard time with before I had children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm not alone in that. I've talked to many parents who feel that way. Things that are um, threatening to your to children or the idea of like a terrible future yeah. um, can be harder. But the reason that I like Station Eleven, and it is a dystopian fiction, it opens mm-hmm. with a plague, yeah. a super flu, I guess, that wipes out like, I think it's something 90% of the population of the world. Um, and it unfolds in Toronto. So it is a Canadian mm-hmm. set book. And uh, it goes through a few main characters as they either die or like hide from the flu. Um, and then skips ahead uh, 20 years or so. And the remnants of the earth are living in small communities. And um, it follows a troop of performers who yeah. perform Shakespeare and go from small community to small community, um, bringing light mm-hmm. and joy to people. And the reason that I like this book so much is that I've never read another what I'll call hopeful dystopia. Mm. (laughs) They're all about how awful everything is now Mm -hmm. and how uh, one hero's job is to make it better. (laughs) But this is really just about humanity. A terrible thing has already occurred. Mm -hmm. And now there are people who are still trying to keep culture alive and art and even though um, a lot of bad things happen to these characters in this book, and they're young, um, mm-hmm. they don't—they either don't remember it enough to be negatively affected by it, or they've moved on. Yeah. With their lives, and like bad things still happen. You know, uh, infections occur, mm-hmm. and like there are madmen and cult leaders and stuff. But it is—it's a hopeful book that ends on a very actual hopeful oh, note, nice. where they see a community with electricity. Mm-hmm. And they wonder, like, how did this happen? And they, they want to go and figure yeah. out what happened, and it ends there. And I called the book Luminous at the time of reading it, which is something my husband still makes fun of me for. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I stick by that. Yeah, <laughs> it was a very beautifully good. written novel. Mm. Um, and again, 
it's something I have reread, uh, but the first time I read it, I was able to divorce myself from that dystopia way more than I can now. Yeah. And the idea of a pandemic is just like one of the most terrifying things in the yeah. world. To it me. is so terrifying. It is, the, it is the one recent dystopian novel that I have seriously considered being willing to read. And I think it's because I do love the idea that, you know, post apocalyptic whatever, people would still be going around putting on plays. Like, I love the hopefulness yeah, of yeah. that. So I probably will read it at some point. And the I, writing is exquisite. Yeah. Writing's very good. And it doesn't talk a lot about dead children, that's which good. is something that I cannot, <laughs> yeah. I can't, I just can't. Like, that's yeah. something I can't with. Um, the other book that I tell people to read is The Night Circus. Oh, uh, yes. By yeah, Anne Morgenstern. Yeah. And it's not, you know, a heavy literary fiction book at all. It is a, like a fantasy novel uh-huh. about... Uh, a magical circus yeah. and dueling ma- magicians and their two protégés who fall in love but yeah. are still dueling it's and have so to play lovely. out this game. Yeah. And the descriptions of the carnival mm-hmm. um, visits and attractions that they create and the world that you inhabit when reading that book is just so beautiful. Oh, and it, yeah. it is, to me, uh, such a perfect love story. Mm-hmm. Uh, every year on uh, Valentine's Day, I actually make a Facebook post asking people what their favorite love story and literature is. Oh, really? And that always comes up, uh-huh. and it's always mine. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. A lot of, there's a lot of, like, joking answers as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that is one of the more contemporary popular answers outside of, say, like, Pride and Prejudice or, yeah. you know, any of Jane Austen's yeah. books. Yeah. Heathcliff has never come up. Oh, good, good. No Sorry, one's ever said off. Wothering Heights. This is the thing. <laughs> I can't handle Wuthering Heights. I've never liked it. Yeah, it's very disturbing, and I think it was meant to be disturbing. And I think yeah. that the really disturbing thing is that some people do read it as a as a romantic story. Like, absolutely, which is like, mm, yeah. no, it's like aren't. holding Romeo and Juliet up as the oh, romantic yeah. idea. Yeah. 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 I think I have hit a point in my life when I can no longer go to any more live performances of Romeo and Juliet because I was at a very good one this summer, and they were you know it was young actors who were just giving it their all, and Juliet particularly was a really attractive, spunky young girl, and they get to the death scene, and I just like, the urge to just scream out, "She's not really dead!" It's like it's it's getting to the point where I don't think I can be trusted yeah. to go go to it anymore. That's Such a silly play. Such, Such a, a silly silly, silly, silly play. play. It's all about miscommunication. It is. Just, yes, if only yeah. one of you had thought ahead. Yeah, yeah. If only you hadn't been 14, like just, in Shakespeare's just, writing. Just been able to plan things a little better. Things might have worked out. Oh my. Um, I guess the, the thing about recommending books to others does get me into some of the sort of library specific questions I wanted to ask you guys because although I do want to talk about books generally and you've already said so many great ones I also do want to ask you a little bit about this, you know I guess, what do you see as librarians in terms of how our relationship with books and with libraries is changing and how do you respond to the whole, well, do we even need libraries anymore kind of thing? I mean, obviously you think we do, but... Um, I think the first thing that I like to tell to people is that libraries are not a house of books. Sure, there's a lot of books there, but that's not all that they are. They're community hubs, they're community centers, they're places where you're meant to go and explore your own creativity and collaborate with other people. Mm -hmm. That's the crux of a library, and it's lifelong learning. So you should be using the library to its fullest potential. If you're only going to use it for books, then you're going to miss out on what it has to offer and what you have to gain Mm -hmm. from, you know, being being a citizen in this particular community, right? Because there's so many great um, programs that happen. And the people that work there 
really love working there, right? Mm. And so they want to make sure that whatever it is that the community needs, that that's what we give you, Yeah. right? So in terms of our programming, in terms of the services we provide, in terms of the books that we buy, because the services aren't only books, right? We've got great online service. And, it, and it's for all members of the community. So there's some people that, you know, they can't, like people take for granted all the time and they say, why don't you just read this online? A lot of people can't. Yeah. They can't afford the devices. Yeah. They can't afford the Wi-Fi cost, the data. Like they mm-hmm. just, it, that's just not something that they can afford to do. And at the library, it's free. So people are able to, it's the last free institution. It really in is. Our society. Yeah. It always actually kind of baffles my mind. I do um, the Facebook page for the AC Hunter and I do our Twitter account. Yeah. The number one question I get asked about on those pages is, is this program um, free? Is yeah. there a cost associated? Yeah. And when my answer is always yes, yeah. <laughs> people are surprised. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm always taken a little bit aback by that. Yeah. Because uh, our programs have always been free. There yeah. are very rare exceptions to that. But that's, what, that's our job is mm-hmm. to provide a free service to people mm-hmm. in this province that yeah. they'll use. And we want them to use it. I was uh, the library technician on Fogo Island for about a year when I started working for the libraries. And people came there not just for books, but likely has to use the internet mm-hmm. to like email their grandchildren, to learn how to set up their e-reader. Yeah. We had um, 50s Plus Club nights, which were huge and mm-hmm. booming. Uh, it, you know, it's just, it is a community hub. Mm-hmm. And obviously in St. John's, we're very lucky that we have such a big library mm-hmm. um, and it's, you know, better funded than some. And we have a lot of things like we talked about board games yeah. earlier and we have the musical Musicals. instrument yeah. lending library now and which the is tool, really cool have a tool library too yes it's a there? partnership that oh, we have with the current tool library oh, okay. that's already established but we do have a partnership with wow. them we have a partnership with the seed libraries we have a really? seed library where people can come and borrow seeds and then when they when they're you know, their things bloom and they, you know, uh-huh. they, they can bring they, seeds back. They can bring seeds they back. They have programs to teach you how to harvest the seeds correctly to share them yeah. with someone else. It is, um, I wish, I feel like, you're going to have to edit this, you know, because <laughs> I'm, I feel like a lot of the criticisms I hear about libraries uh-huh. are from people who don't use them. Yeah. And I know that that sounds obvious, mm-hmm. <laughs> But there are a lot of people um, who can afford to not use the library. Yes, that's right. It doesn't mean that everyone who can afford not to use the library doesn't use it. There are Mm -hmm. lots of people who do. But if it's not something you're using or thinking about, you have a tendency to dismiss it in your mind. But Mm -hmm. like Leah pointed out, the library is a hub for a lot of people who just can't afford those services. And I think about our home reader service that delivers books to Mm -hmm. seniors who are confined to their houses or to care homes and how incredibly valuable Mm -hmm. that service is to them to even feel in touch with the world and to interact with books they wouldn't be able to any other way. We have a lot of new Canadians that come to the library and some of them are surprised to find out we're free because they come from countries where libraries are not free. Mm -hmm. Um, and that it is a safe space for everyone is such an important thing, I think, that people don't talk about a lot. But yeah. everyone is welcome there, everyone. And everybody should be represented there. So and we're doing our very, very best to be representative of all of the members in our community. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, so that you can, when you walk into a library, you can see yourself reflected in some way. And that's something that we work really, really hard at. Another service that we provide, too, is, you know, you can go up with our reference staff or any of our staff, you go into any branch and go behind talk to the people behind the desk and they'll help you navigate job searches 
Wow. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they'll yeah. help you print off your resume mm-hmm. if you need that. Like, I don't have a printer. Not everybody does now. Yeah. Right? So, like, those are ways yeah. that, you know, we can help people. And I read this great article uh, today in The Guardian, actually. And they were talking. No, it wasn't. It was the Global, Global News. That's what it was. And they were talking about how a community with a library, especially a vibrant library, increases um, not only productivity, but revenue for that community. Really? So whatever they put in, Uh the revenue that the library creates by this lifelong learning establishment Mm -hmm. for the people using the library, what they're getting back out of that is double. Wow. Right, so people should really be investing in their libraries. Oh, for sure. Right? Not only because of the books. No. But because of the services that they provide and because of the safe spaces and the communal spaces Mm -hmm. that people provide or that the service provides. It's true because we are free. People have a tendency to think that if something is free, it's not giving anything back. Yes. You know, if I don't have to pay for these services, there's no economic value. But there was a study, and I wish I knew the numbers, out of Toronto that had broken it down to the dollar, just how much money the public libraries made a community that it was in and it was huge yeah um, not just for um the things that leah provided but just for community support mm-hmm. you know and even things like we're tax time so we've ran tax clinics in yeah. conjunction yeah. with them um, you know the government and had mm-hmm. for lower income people who can't afford to just like go to h&r block exactly, and you know yeah. you can go to the library and get that done or you can call the library and say i don't understand why i have to do my taxes then the person will tell you. Yeah. They will research those things. Right. I have, when I worked behind the desk once upon a time, I had somebody call me and ask me about KitKat bars. And so I went and I researched KitKat bars. And we, you know, we found out, or why is Britney Spears in rehab? Well, I don't know. Let's find out. And we went through it and, you know, I did the research and I gave them the answer. But like, these are things that people are using us for and it sounds it might sound silly right but to them it's important to that person, we want to provide a service know, yeah. to everybody and whatever that service might be i think we have gotten a, so as a society so far away from the idea of an organization that provides services for free and asks nothing from you in return except that you return the books on time apparently <laughs> but um you know I, I just think we're so very locked into the idea of everything has to be paid for that capitalism yeah yeah i mean Uh, i save i did this like online emily's done it too we've done this online um what is it like calculator that will tell you how much money you save by going to the library mm -hmm. a year and just as a reader so i save approximately twenty five hundred dollars a year as a reader really yeah you can put in how many books you've borrowed right how many free programs you've attended um how long have you spent on the internet like blah 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 and it spits out a number for you oh you might have to send me the link to that so i can put it in the show notes because some people might want to try i'll have to see i know i've shared it on our facebook page before so i definitely have it saved somewhere that would be great but it was a real eye-opener even if it's not say completely accurate but it does add up the amount that a book would cost you know and how much you've saved by checking it out from the library and for voracious readers that's yes the library (laughs) saves me a lot of money yes me too voracious reader (laughs) so then i can buy those ones that i want yeah books are expensive books are expensive i don't think that's something that um we talk about a lot but books are expensive these days Mm -hmm. i went to buy a board book for a birthday party that my daughter was attending and it was over $20, yes, a board book. Yeah. And I was very surprised because mm-hmm. <laughs> it had been so long since I'd went and bought a new book that wasn't just an adult yes, yeah. 
fiction that was 20% off at the front of chapters, you know, but, um, they are, they're expensive and literacy is so important. Mm -hmm. And as a province, we, you know, do not have necessarily super high literacy rates and the library is supposed to be a main support for that. Mm -hmm. So the fact that more people don't use it or aren't aware of it is always surprising because Leah and I do kinder start, um, presentations every year at the schools and, Without fail, every time I do one, there will be parents who say, like, I didn't know we even had a library. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Every time. Isn't In the that, capital. Isn't that you know, awful? They didn't know or they had no idea that there was one so close to them. They yeah. didn't know we had three libraries. Or that you could bring your pool. kids there. You could bring... Yeah. You'd be surprised how many people think the library only has old books. Wow. Not They don't know that we buy brand new books. Or that it's okay to bring your children. My children are allowed. I can't possibly go to the library. Don't worry about it. Yeah. We're not shushers anymore. anymore. We don't yeah. shush. I've never shushed. You've this never is a new shushed? era. I, I, I might talk to two librarians who've never shushed. Know, never shushed. <laughs> this is a whole different... I think the idea of the like mean librarian yes, from people's yeah, childhoods stern, from yeah. the 60s is not at all accurate of what a yeah. library looks like anymore. And here in St. John's, of course, we have the children's library, yes, which is yeah. specific, like, your kids An can be out there. Yeah. Kids. Yes, yes. That's, yeah. in fact, the, one of the only free places you can bring your children yeah, these days. That's right. Mm-hmm. So to get back to um, your own book selections and choices, uh, because I know we're getting close to, I usually take around an hour with these. So I just want to ask you, are there either any questions that I didn't get to ask or any books that you wanted to talk about that you didn't get a chance to? No, I, I always would, want to talk about books. Uh, I always Let's see for anyone to come thinking of a particular book and say, oh, I never got to talk about this one. Oh, you did ask favorite book as a child or oh, teen, yes. and I did have an answer for oh, that ooh, one. What's yours? What was that? I read The Blue Castle by Lucy Maud Montgomery oh, so yes. many times. Blue Castle's amazing. Yeah. And I, of course, loved Emily of New Moon because mm-hmm. that was my name. Yes. <laughs> and I loved Anna Green Gables, but The Blue Castle is just a standalone uh-huh. about Valancey, who doesn't have a lot of faith in herself and mm-hmm. is, I believe, in the book, she's 23. Yeah. And is a spinster because yeah. she's unmarried, which is something that <laughs> when I read it, of course, seemed bananas to me. But, uh, you know, and her, she lives with her aunts, and uh-huh. uh, they dictate her whole life, and she finds out that she's dying, or so yeah. she thinks, and she just blows up her entire life. It's such a wonderful story And she of moves out to, like, yeah. go take care of a drunkard who's dying yeah. of, you know, either cancer or some sort of lung. They never mm-hmm. explain exactly what's wrong with him. And she falls in love with a man, and he marries her because he thinks she's dying yes. out of what she thinks is pity, but it's a love story. Everything yeah. ends up happy. <sighs> But I just read that book so many times, and I thought yeah. it was just so beautiful. And she gets this, like, lovely, happy ending. Yes. But even the stick to to her aunts of... Yes. They even yeah, have rules, I remember. She tells what she thinks. Yeah. yeah. I remember they have rules about, it's well, it's October, um, so we can't light the furnace yet. We do not tur- tur- light the wood stove until yeah. this date, and she's freezing, and they yeah. won't light the stove because it's such a regimented life and they're always talking about her beautiful younger cousin who's got blonde hair yeah. and like the perfect complexion and a fiance and mm-hmm. Valencia is just a pale dark haired child with no <laughs> prospects and at the end they're all um surprised by how well it turns yes, out for her I guess yeah. but it did feel like a a bit of a comeuppance it was oh, so nice yeah. to it's see her come into story. her own yeah. yeah I'm happy you've read it because oh, not yes. a lot of people I come across have yeah, I think it's my favorite, Ellen Montgomery. It's just, and it is just such a great, 
Such a great empowering story. Really it is. Yeah. yeah. I still have the paperback copy of it I had as a child, and it's now missing a, a cover, mm. and it's just tattered. And <laughs> you know, that's another book, now that I think of it, that I don't think I've ever owned a copy of The Blue Castle. I think I probably checked it out several times from the library. Mm-hmm. I might even have an ebook version of it somewhere, depending on how recently I've reread it. But I don't have a physical copy of that book. So it's another one now I need to add yeah, to the permanent to add collection. Add yeah. What about you, Leah? Any books you wanted um, to talk about that we didn't get to? One well, and I was just on the tales of yours. I think we're talking about books that we liked when we were kids. And mm-hmm. for me, it was the Guests of War trilogy by Kit Pearson. Oh yes, I yeah, love I've Kit Pearson. I've read all of her books. She's, She's actually wonderful. got a new one that's coming out um, that we've just bought. Well, it's actually out now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Guests of War was so important to me as a kid. I've always been fascinated by wartime stories. Anyway, a lot of my favorite books. Um, revolve around the Second World War. Mm-hmm. But it's about um, Nora and her, she's 10 and her little brother Gavin go to Canada as guests of war during uh-huh. um, the possibility of a Hitler invasion in, in England. And it's what their life is like in Canada at that time and how they feel removed, yet they sort of assimilate. And then there's three books. It's a trilogy. So there's The Sky is Falling, Looking at the Moon, and The Lights Go On Again. And by the time they get to The Lights Go On Again, they don't know if they want to go back. Yeah. Right? And I just found that so incredible to be so alone mm. as a child. To be yeah. so completely alone and then to make your way and to have a family and, you know, to fall in love with that family in this new place and still know that you might belong somewhere else, but maybe you don't. I don't know. Like, I, I love that. I love that as a child. And I can't wait for, I'm hoping my kids will want to read this book someday. I read the first two books of that trilogy. I never read The Lights Go On Again, so I have to read it. Oh, that's about Gavin. That focuses mainly on Gavin's story because he can't remember his family. Yeah. Right? He has no memory of them. How many of those kids who came? Like, my mother had a friend who came to Canada as one of these, you know, British children who was just shipped over here during the war years. And how strange it must have been. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that's a great that's so a great trilogy. I'm glad you got a chance I, to I do. And that. I actually bought it as a trilogy at a at a used book sale because I had the three books and they were worn and yeah, falling apart. But that's so a lovely edition of the three of them. <laughs> yeah. Together. It's beautiful. Yeah. So those are books that I uh, as a kid that I really loved. But I also really loved Sweet Valley High and I remember like yeah. reading Sweet Valley High as a 6 and 7 year old. Oh, you like, should talk about Paperback you know. Crush. Oh, yeah, so it's a, that's a nonfiction book that I just read and I bought and I've been raving about, but it's about the history of young adult books. Oh, really? Um, with a special focus on 80s and 90s YA fiction. Oh, wow. And it is wicked. It's, you know, Sweet Valley High, The Baby Scissors Club, um, Fear Street books, Christopher Pike books. Like, uh-huh. oh, it is just so, so ridiculous. So ridiculous and so great. In fact, I, so I have a very small collection still of those books from when I was a kid and I bought myself I no longer have any of my Camp Sunnyside books so I actually bought one on Amazon and it came in the mail the other day she brought it into work and we were flipping through it looking at all the pictures and it was like a walk down memory lane of books I had checked out from my say high school library from the Uh rotating paper book paperback you know carousels and just laughing maniacally about some of them Uh you know like oh my god this one about like killer cheerleaders or this one about the summer camp where everyone (laughs) dies it was all very and you know what like none of those books are literary they're all so formulaic and you know rereading them now after reading some wonderful things they're terrible yeah um but if I had never read those things, I wouldn't be a reader today because I yeah. found them at the, like, I was a precocious child. I read a lot from a very young age. And like I was saying, like I was six and seven reading about these high school 
political, you know, mm-hmm. things that were happening. Yeah. And if I hadn't have read those, if that hadn't been my gateway, I wouldn't be a reader. They were the gateway drug they, to other they books. Were, yeah. They were the gateway to just wanting to consistently read. Yeah. That's all I wanted to do. For a lot of people, I think that they were. Because for me, it was the Babysitter's Club. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sweet Valley High, I read, yeah. I'd say, dozens and dozens and dozens of those books. Yeah. And uh, I really do want to read Paperback Crush. Leah's loaned it to another one of our co-workers. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. That's I like fun. I want to read that one, too. But thank you so much. This oh, was really you. enjoyable, a really great conversation. And I always um, publish show notes that uh, that list all the books that everyone talked about. Because people, you know, as they're oh, listening nice. to the podcast, they're like, oh, I didn't catch that. So again, thank you very much. This oh, is a wonderful conversation. And keep you. on not shushing people in the library. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that wraps up my conversation with Emily Blackmore and Leah Chesson-Locke of our local provincial library system. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation just as much as we enjoyed having it. If you want to check out any of the books we talked about, as always, go to TrudyMorganCole.com, click on the Shelf Esteem link, and it will take you to a blog post that lists all the books we discussed. And uh, hopefully you'll check out a few of them. I know there's some from this list that I want to be sure to read. I'll be back again in a few weeks with some more great guests and some more great books to talk about. Until then, read a good book and build your shelf esteem.